You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Tom Vanderark, and today we're speaking with Impact Investors Daniel Pienko and Nasir Kadri. Hey, guys. Hey, Tom. Great to see you. Hi, Tom. Great to have you on the podcast. Um, Dan is a co-founder of Achieve Partners. Uh, Dan, uh, congrats on the big recent round. You raised $175 million in the last few weeks. Is that right? A few more shekels than that, but yes, that's exactly right, Tom. That's awesome. So you're putting about $200 million to work in, in a new fund. Um, Dan was also the co-founder of University Ventures, and his work with Ryan Craig over the last decade uh, resulted to in, in me often describing them as the most important investors in, uh, in post-secondary learning in America. Um, Dan is also one of the co-founders of a new industry association for impact investors. It's called Impact Capital Managers. And for ICM, uh, Dan is producing a regular podcast called Better Money, Better World. Uh, Download it now. It's a terrific discussion with impact investors uh, like our other guest, Nasir Kadri. Uh, Nasir is the co-founder and manager of Zeal Capital Partners. Um, it's an inclusive investment vehicle. Um, Nasir, what, what is an inclusive investment vehicle? Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an investment discipline. First of all, Tom and, and Daniel, it's great to be with you both. I, uh, I, should, I sit on the shoulders of both of you uh, since being in the space only for the better half of six, seven years more formally across two funds. And I've uh, admired both of you and Daniel, you and I have had a number of conversations. Uh, it's really shaping my thinking as, a, as an investor, both of us in the dark, coming from the dark uh, ages of, of Goldman uh, and traditional financial services. So it's, it's just warming to, to see where you are and, and to, uh, for us to be where we are as a new investment vehicle um, across the private markets. But um, Tom, to your question, and we can get into this a little bit more, um, you know, inclusive investing to us is a new investment discipline um, that we're pushing and sharing to across the private markets, whether you're a story franchise or you're an emerging manager. Essentially, it, we, we, we often hear impact investing over here, ESG over here and traditional financial services over here. But we truly believe that when you um, build in this five prong market back approach, um, you are more likely to have uh, better source entrepreneurs everywhere, not just coming from very few places. Um, and historically, data-wise, backing the same people, um, uh, quite frankly. And so it's taking a more proactive approach that hopefully better levels the playing field, but, but also factors in um, a specific investment focus and impact measurements as well. So it's a combination of impact, but also achieving alpha as a means to widen our lens from a sourcing, sourcing perspective. Yeah, I, I appreciate the term. And Nasir, it, it sounds like you're trying to be inclusive in, in terms of how you shape your firm, where you're sourcing founders, um, the, the space that they're in. So you're using that term uh, pretty broadly. It's, it's, it's inclusive in three buckets, inclusive in terms of the team that you build in terms of that being you know, you know, having an inclusive, diverse team and what that yields when your team is diverse. Um, 
B, it's the founders in which you invest in. C, it's the, um, the geographic inclusivity and what that yields when you over-index or you're, you're more proactive in, you know, primarily, uh, if we talk about the U.S., uh, we want to focus on the U.S., you know, cities that are outside of your traditional tech hotbeds, so Boston, San Francisco, New York, for example. Um, and so it's it's that it's taking more proactive approach in terms of how you think about your infrastructure, your sourcing, and in uh, communities, ecosystems in which you, you interact with. I appreciate that. Nasir, you, you mentioned that you both got your start at Goldman Sachs. Uh, D- Dan, what was your path from Goldman to impact? What, what spurred your interest in this idea of high impact, uh, high return? Uh, well, first of all, I'm glad Nasir feels like he learned from me because I feel like I learned from him at least uh, at least as far as marathon running and the like. So um, kudos to Nasir for closing. Nasir has completed 18 marathons and your goal is 51, right? 51. I had two, uh, Little Rock and Wisconsin, this uh, Arkansas and, and Wisconsin this, this, this year. We'll make 20. That is, that is awesome. Dan and I are envious of that, uh, of your achievements on that front. At least I have slightly more hair than he does still. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think Goldman, uh, I, 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 I joined Goldman as a history major, uh, so I was uh, a little different than than my other fellow analysts to start. Um, but I knew pretty quickly that uh, I wanted to try to save the world. Um, and uh, while I had a wonderful experience at Goldman, um, you know, the concept I, I got I was in the financial institutions group, so my job was to help banks buy other banks, basically, um, which is a very lucrative profession. But uh, it didn't it didn't solve what I was looking for, which was um, to, to do something more impactful. Uh, and, um, I knew pretty early on, uh, that I wanted to do something different. And I, when I left Goldman, um, I actually joined a charter school organization run by, uh, Jim Shelton, who I think everybody, uh, listening to this podcast, if they don't know, they should know. Um, and he was my first mentor in sort of this brave new world, uh, where you could save the world and also achieve great returns. And so I, I've really, I didn't know I was going to go into impact investing. What I knew is I wanted to uh, do something different and I wanted to try to save the world. And um, where I ended up was, you know, people like Jim and some other mentors early said, hey, there's, it wasn't even called impact investing then. It was just like, hey, you can, you can solve problems in a way that attracts capital to solve them. So you're not reliant on philanthropy. And I thought that was probably the single most important realization uh, that I learned very early on, and as I as I moved into what is now known as impact investing. What that's uh, a cool connection uh, with Shelton. I, I didn't uh, I didn't know that. I had the chance to work with Jim at uh, Gates Foundation, and uh, he was a terrific thought partner. Um, Dan, w- one of the things that you always ask your guests um, on Better Money, Better World is uh, just to give a. a, a an example of a, a deal, an investment that sort of illustrates your thesis is, is there something you, you look back on over the last 10 years that sort of illustrates this idea of high impact, high return that would help people understand what we're talking about? Yeah. So um, first of all, I, I struggled answering this question uh, when you said you're going to ask me this. So, um, but I, I'm actually going to talk about the first deal in our new fund. Um, 
which is optimum healthcare IT. Our basic philosophy is there's a massive mismatch, uh, a chasm between education and employment. And you you got um, 8 million uh, unfilled jobs and tens of millions of people who are in, in, you know, either unemployed, underemployed, or unhappily employed. And so our fund is uh, geared towards buying companies in skill gap areas and then adding what are effectively apprenticeship programs frequently in partnership with traditional universities and other sources of talent. And one area that no one on this podcast has probably heard about or thought about is uh, healthcare IT. Uh, There are uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of healthcare IT jobs. Um, We invested in a leading healthcare IT implementation firm called Optimum Healthcare IT. Uh, This is a business that uh, that implements healthcare IT systems at over 200 of the largest hospitals in America. Great established business top brand in its space. But the founders realized that, you know, we are inhibited in our growth by a lack of access to qualified people who can implement healthcare IT systems. So we invested. um, And then what we brought was we call last mile training, uh, which was we um, uh, partnered with the University of Central Florida, uh, Denver, and and a few other universities. We're running cohorts of students, uh, boot camps, uh, but we're recruiting people um, and, and guaranteeing them a job when they graduate. So we get hundreds of applicants for every slot, get really high quality talent that's generally left out of the traditional talent pools. Um, this is for a healthcare, this is for an IT job. Uh, about 60% of our talent is diverse, um, either female or underrepresented minority. So we, do a, we think that's really important to what we do. Um, we train them, we pay them while they're getting trained. Uh, and then we place them in job afterwards. We think of it almost like a Swiss-style apprentice pro- apprenticeship program uh, in the U.S., but it really solves everybody's problem because the uh, healthcare IT needs literally hundreds of thousands of more um, uh, professionals. Um, there are lots of recent college graduates and, and others who are looking for great first jobs. Um, and then we basically take the risk that we can identify really high-quality, diverse talent, place them in jobs, um, and then uh, have the, you know set them off on their career. And the, the goal of our fund is to create 100,000 good first jobs uh, that wouldn't otherwise exist. And so we think healthcare is is one of those areas uh, where we can clearly um, we clearly add talent in that regard. Impact investing wasn't really a term that we we used much um, ten years ago. It, it feels like the the field has matured relatively quickly. Um, Maybe you could also give us the origin story of uh, of ICM, uh, this impact capital managers, and sort of how you found your tribe and and how um, what this affiliation is trying to accomplish. Yeah, so you know, I always kind of felt a little out of place um, when I talked to sort of my friends who left Goldman to do you know private equity for banks or or other types of things who were really primarily or solely focused on economic return and doing bigger deals. Um, uh, and at the same time, you know, you have on the other side, um, philanthropists, you know, uh, you're from the Gates Foundation, you know, does wonderful work, but not exactly trying to maximize economic return. And so at Impact Capital Managers was a group of managers that got together and said, we don't have to sacrifice return to get high impact. And basically, it's a group of people who believe that um, by solving the world's greatest problems, we can make the most money. 
And so we're, we have about 70 members, and Nasir is actually a recent uh, uh, additional member, so we're really happy to have them join Impact Capital Managers. Um, and 70 ma- managers managing about uh, $15 billion right now. Um, so it's a great group uh, from the TPG uh, Rise Fund, Bain Double Impact, down through funds that are you know $25 million and supporting uh, native, uh, native populations on reservations. So um, it's really a, an amazing group of, of about 70 GPs at this point. And Dan, is everybody seeking um, high return, high impact, or is there sort of a continuum between um, both high bar for both and, and some that will accept a mitigated return? No, and this is, I think, probably uh, the most important point. We, we are solely, um, we believe there should, we believe that the focus for us is that there shouldn't be this mushy middle. Right. I think the biggest problem for traditional alloc- if you think about the allocation of capital in the world, right, there's three hundred and fifty trillion dollars of assets out there. Ninety nine point nine percent of those assets are purely return seeking. And so by creating sort of this mushy middle, it, 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 it kind of makes all impact investing look like it's not return seeking, which which means that a lot of people won't invest in impact investing. Historically, the biggest problem is people won't invest in impact oriented funds because it doesn't uh, comply with their fiduciary duty. And so um, what, what we're focused on is saying, hey, we're, we're high return and high impact. And all of our members sort of go along with that approach. Uh, Nasir, you also started your career at uh, Goldman Sachs. Um, what was your path to impact investing? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I had maybe three core reasons why I felt it was important to, to start my career in traditional financial services. One, to gain a style skill set. Uh, two, to get some personal capital. And the first generation college graduate with my family, it was important that, uh, you know, that personal capital is very important. And three, uh, to really expand my social Rolodex. I come from Atlanta, Georgia, a community where, um, you know, opportunity is, is, is in terms of succeeding is, is rare. And so, uh, I felt the more I expanded my reach in, in social networks, um, the more I was able to really get a sense of what other options were out there. And I, I knew very early, much like Dan, that as vague as it was that early, that working in capacity that was mission aligned, but also had the ability to um, achieve economic mobility was important. And so um became very interested in um you know education first i was already sitting on several nonprofit boards so playing that one foot in one foot out but the interesting uh my four way into the private markets into venture capital and impact investing more specifically is that i actually in new york city i opened up a coffee shop to my closest friends in, in the west village and it was essentially uh, uh, a coffee shop that meets an incubator, and we it was called Bees Knees, and we attract a lot of entrepreneurs, as you can imagine, a lot of NYU students, just given we were in the heart of NYU. And in turn, we also attract a great deal of investors. So as an owner, you walk around, you want to make sure your customers are, are doing okay. But as for me, I, was, I became even more respectfully nosy and inquisitive and learned that there was a lot of one-on-ones with investors and, and, um, and entrepreneurs. And, and so I, I befriended a number of those investors and I'll not, they introduced me to the private markets more specifically 
impact investing and even more specifically ed tech. And I later learned very at that point that there was a market opportunity. As you know, when we're most of all the tools we use in the classroom, um, in schools and universities are are, are are private companies. And so I became more and more interested in, in uh, the tools that were being leveraged uh, from it for, from it for instructional purposes, operational use, administrative use um, from pre-K through 12. And then a little later, I started really getting interested in, in K-12, uh, excuse me, in, in post-secondary and then later in the workforce. But um, but very much, uh, you know, the coffee shop is where is where I credit my introduction into into venture capital investing, um, and then spent time in Connecticut as an I want to shout out to Education Pioneers felt as an Ed Pioneer Fellow, um, a nonprofit that really uh, helps those who come from the private sector to hound those skills um, into education work and. Um, so really had a chance to work on several projects in Connecticut as a special assistant to the commissioner of education, former uh, Stephen Pryor, and uh, worked closely with former governor Dan Malloy on all things, the role that technology plays to increase student achievement and, uh, and employment outcomes. And so from there, I moved to D.C. And, and joined a small firm called Village Capital. And so. Right. I think, Nasir, that's probably. We probably met when you were at uh, Village Capital. I think that's when we, that's exactly where we met. I believe it was uh, either New School Venture Fund Summit or uh, South by Southwest. But uh, yeah, and then you you had the chance to lead the uh, the AT and T Social Impact Fund. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if you you think back over Zeal and Village and AT and T. Is there a deal that is a, an illustration of your investment yeah. thesis? Yeah, in the spirit of being biased and using this 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 week, given our announcement, um, and even though we're a newer fund on the block, um, you know we're running a pretty highly concentrated portfolio. Um, at, you know we're investing in early stage companies, so um, pre seed, seed, uh, Series A, and so the company I'm, I I like to share is. A company uh, called Year One that's led by two brothers um, that uh, is based in Portland, Oregon. And the reason why I highlight these individuals, these 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 co-founders, they uh, speak clearly to our investment mandate, which is backing exceptional diverse management teams that's rethinking the building blocks of wealth from education to employment pathways to financial wellness. So investing across two verticals, uh, the future of work and and uh, uh, and financial technology, but our future work practice uh, uh, year one essentially is a a platform that connects with uh, 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 graduates, uh, software engineer graduates from coding boot camps around the country, and connects them with um, software engineering jobs um, at lar- medium to large uh, size technology companies, and they've. Had, had incredible traction in terms of like 40, either two, 250 in revenue uh, it, uh, last year and now approaching 2 million this year. And so the returns in terms of their growth is, has been exceptional. But of course, uh, especially over the past year, we've seen an heightened in, in interest from large corporations, particularly technology companies 
that do want to see an increase in diversity as it relates to um, um, employees in general. But in this case, they're they're sourcing exceptional uh, 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 software engineers. And so, um, uh, yeah, year one, we believe, is going to become a market leader um, while they're still early, but a market leader in terms of the go-to platform source for medium to large tech companies in terms of sourcing software engineers, diverse software engineers. That's a great example. Uh, Dan, you, you get a chance to talk to impact investors every week on uh, Better Money, Better World. It it strikes me that it's still a challenging profession because most of the areas of intended impact are, many of them are in the social sector and they're, they're sectors of the economy that that don't have typical market characteristics. Um, isn't that an impediment to impact investing that you're trying to make a difference in a in a sector that doesn't operate uh, much like a traditional market? Actually, it kind of is what creates what we call alpha. Um, and so Nasir's example, I, I mean, look, what Nasir's doing is really incredible. How many venture capitalists are running around Portland, Oregon, right? And if you look, if you look at returns, um, you know, we have some uh, amazing uh, Rethink uh, Impact, uh, two women, one I went to business school with, you know, they're basically focused on women-oriented deals. Um and uh, founders uh, who are female, who are frequently overlooked by other venture capitalists. So you have some sort of diversity uh, alpha creation, which is if you actually find, uh, you know, something like 96% of all funding goes to uh, men, uh, some crazy number like that. Uh, the numbers for African-Americans, I mean, Nasir, you probably know them better than I do, but I think like four black women have raised over a million dollars. I mean, the numbers are staggeringly bad. So on one hand, we have, um, you know, venture capitalists who wear, you know, Patagonia vests and run up and down Sand Hill Row who invest in other white guys like me. Um, and, and so that's a blinder, right? So that their, their alpha creation by backing diverse entrepreneurs is, is well understood. I, I think you were, though, asking about sort of a second major category where I think Nasir and I both play, which is that a lot of businesses, whether they're environmentally oriented or education oriented, um, people think of as non-market, right? And so uh, there are actually real gains to being an expert in a space, um, whether that is uh, you know nascent areas of ed tech, being able to call up someone like Tom Vanderark and ask him, does a ed tech product actually work? Will will people eat it? Eat, uh, will people buy it? You know, Reach Capital, who I think many of your viewers will, will know, um, you know, they're a bunch of former teachers and they're able, they've had four or five unicorns by identifying companies that teachers will actually use their products for um, and have had massive outsized returns. Um, you know, Ecosystem Integrity Fund uh, early on realized that, um, you know, uh, people would, um, you know, solar panels, everyone is focused on the technology of solar panels in Silicon Valley. And they realized early on that actually, if you uh, change how you mount a solar panel, it's actually much, much more impactful or cheaper or whatever. So uh, they cut the cost of solar installation by 50% by backing a company that wasn't sexy, um, but it, it, it was incredibly important to the process of installing solar. So um, actually, we believe that the non-market forces you referenced and sort of the blinders of the traditional investment community creates the opportunity for alpha.
Nasir, what would you add to that about working in spaces where we we traditionally have thought about the market being inefficient? Yeah, yeah. I I I'd say two things. A, you're you're finding you're finding entrepreneurship entrepreneurs building businesses being a bit more evenly distributed, especially over the past year. They're they're living everywhere. They're not just living at, you know New York and in and, and San Francisco. I think that's that that could correlate to a um, you know valuations right a bit more expensive across the coast. You're building a company in Cincinnati or or Denver or Detroit. Uh, valuation you can be a bit more you know you can you can work work in your favor. And but but I but I also think there's an interest there's an interesting dynamic around building on top of local assets, right? And if you're a company in Atlanta, I mean you have in, you know you have companies, Fortune 10 companies from Home Depot to Delta to UPS, MailChimp, you name it, about maybe 10 Fortune 30 companies in that ecosystem. I think that's overlooked and the ability for entrepreneurs to get that first pilot or um, at those at those companies. And, 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 they're, and they're interested in, in partnering with these early stage companies. And so I think there's an interesting dynamic also around um, building on top of local assets, Baltimore, you know, John Hopkins has really been uh, uh, leaning into the on Baltimore's entrepreneurial ecosystem in terms of piloting new products across health and, and education technology. So I think those that can be uh, becoming a trend. This year, I guess what I'm most worried about these days are um, accelerating inequity. And what we saw in the last two years was these compounding um, accelerants of, of climate change, uh, the pandemic, life with smart machines. Can impact investing really address accelerating inequity or does it take more more than that? I think it takes more. Um, I think we play a major role. Um, but, you know, when you think about inequity and for me, when I think about it, I think about it in two buckets. It's this conversation that we have been um, really paying closer attention to probably since the 1960s is racial equity. And then you have economic equity, which I don't think we talk a lot about. Um, and it's, and for me, it's like racial equity. I, I define it as people and communities not working for them. Right. And then economic equity is systems change. Right. And I think venture capital, we play a major we, we have the ability to inject capital into innovative business models and um, that that can truly possibly disrupt systems that enable the people that alleviates racial equity, that furthers level level playing uh, levels the playing field so that all of us can succeed. And I highlight, obviously, um, uh, African-Americans and Latinx and those from low wealth communities that have been disproportionately impacted the most. And I truly, I truly believe that, you know, and I, and I, I agree with uh, Daniel here. It's like, like there do there need to be some form of capital capitalism infrastructure put in place. There continues to be a, um, a, a discretion between um, LPs and, 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 and GPs, for example. And so what, What's the future of convenings and conferences? Is there a way? Can we get come together and and and, and not just totally revamp? It's not going to happen over one convening, but 
but maybe you know we have ASU GSU coming up, and we we have an early morning breakfast. It's going to make sure that number of LPs that's 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 going to they'll be there and 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 have this type of candid conversation around yes, because a lot of these LPs are all are 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 focusing on racial equity, right? A few of our LPs um, invested in us because of our racial equity lens, but I also push them and say, this is not just about racial equity. It's important. This is also about economic equity that, that, that really debunks the, the, system, the, the systems that hasn't worked for. And I think entrepreneurs can debunk that as well. Um, I'm, I'm still learning and, and still really, uh, you know, fleshing all of this out, but hopefully that, that makes a little sense. Daniel, this new form of capitalism, does it require not only a new approach to investing, but uh, a new social contract? So is there a policy complement to the work you're trying to lead? I hope so. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the government was very important to starting venture capital by creating some things in the tax code. If there's a way to actually identify impact and then uh, give preferential treatment to those investors, I think that would be very helpful. Uh, I'm not sure I have a good answer for you there. Um, I, I, but I, I'm just going to say one other quick thing, which is I think this um, equity issue is 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 across lots of different cross currents. Like, I, you know, um, veterans. I mean, we don't talk about veterans in the in the equity conversation, but you know, there are other the the after you know the the stat that's crazy is you know one hundred forty thousand dollars is the average white family net worth you know like something ten percent of that is the average African American family net worth like th- there there are such systemic issues at play across multiple cuts of this that um, I think it's it's going to require uh, a lot more than you know it's going to require the way the way limited partners give money to general partners to change a lot of these things. And I think the, the unions are taking a lead on this. I think BlackRock has started to make some of these changes. I think some of the big asset allocators are starting to think about this, but you know, right now impact is like 1% of all asset allocation, even the way we do it, right. Which is for profit impact, right. Market rate impact, you know, until that becomes 50, 60, 70%. Um, I think, I think that's going to be the driving factor. But it sounds like you're optimistic about the fact that, you know, BlackRock founder Larry Fink is is talking about taking a long-term view, about taking climate into account. you got to be excited about the increased focus on ESG investment. Is that all a good? Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for I'm, I'm waiting for him to divest, too. I mean, I think, look, the, 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 one of the people on my podcast said, did, did this amazing story where it's an environmental fund and uh, he goes to a, a convening and a bank CEO comes up and says, we're devoting 1% of our equity capital to impact. And Ron Gonan, who runs uh, um, uh, an impact oriented environment, uh, environmentally oriented fund gets up and says, okay, show of hands who here uses um, good, you know, uh, uh, healthy cleaning supplies in your home. Every single person raised their hand. And, and non-toxic cleaning supplies in their home and listed a bunch of brands. Everybody raised their hand. And he turns to the bank CEO and says, why are you only doing 1% of your fund in impact, right? That's the message we have to, until banks, insurance companies, large asset allocators start thinking 
look, 99% of our funds should, it's, it's crazy we still have any money in this old economy, right? The world, the industrial world is changing away from, you know, our, our energy grid is 100 years old. Our road systems are 100 years old. Our, 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 most of our core telephony is 100 years old, right? Like there are massive segments of the economy that have to be changed in such a fundamental way. We need trillions of dollars flowing into this stuff. And, and the equity issue, like you can't tell me that there are only four black women in the United States who deserve a million dollars or more of venture capital. Like that does not compute to me. And so we're clearly at the early innings of a radical shift of how we allocate capital. And it's, and, and it's not just the folks at ASU GSV, but it's, a, it's the folks who don't care, right? How do you convince Larry Fink that it's not 1%, it's 99%? Hey, I'd, I'd love a headline from both of you on a innovation or two that you're excited about in education or workforce development, either a new technology, a new uh, business model. But Nasir, is there an innovation you're excited about in the learning space? Yeah, I, I, I highlight um, the workforce. Um, just That's just where we've been spending a lot of our time. Um, you know, I believe what the unemployment rate is at around six percent, just south of six percent. Um, however, you, you you we still, you know, there's there's still a great deal of, of of workers or that are looking to 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 that were impacted from COVID, and we're crossing paths in a number of. Uh, companies that are thinking about new training and skill development programs for employers, but all but that are affordable as well. So these workers can remain upskilled or get reskilled. And so I'm excited to really lean into that capacity of, of the workforce in terms of ensuring workers are have necessary tools to compete in today and tomorrow's workforce. Yeah, D- Daniel, you probably agree with that. Uh, you're, you guys are excited about new workforce development models, right? Yeah, I think it's a structural shift where we're realizing that there's enough money in the system to train people, right? So for from from the late 90s until until recently, um, every major company, not every, most major companies got rid of their training programs. You know, they got rid of their, you know, Nasir and I were lucky enough to go through Goldman's training program that maybe one of like 10 left. Um, you know, and so I think what we're seeing now is bespoke training or or a new model of apprenticeships that is that is rising. And I think the technology infrastructure there, the sort of human capital infrastructure there, is probably the single most important thing we can do in the near term to re- recover from COVID. Uh, last question: Is impact investing an attractive path for somebody that wants to make a difference? I'm bullish, Tom, that, you know, impact investing is going to evolve, um, you know, not to toot my own horn a little bit. I do think, you know, us pushing this inclusive investing thing um, could really generate a a, a, a a discussion around is inclusive investing its own, truly its own investment discipline. My vote is that it will be, but it remains to be, honestly, remains to be seen. And it's why, you know, we're, we're, we're a new fund, so kind of theory to action concept. But um, but that indicator alone, I truly believe that a young person who has an interest in, in, in investing 
And I think you're seeing this already, right? Most young people, we saw this obviously over the past year who were in, on the front lines, they, they have an interest in social change and environmental change. And, uh, and of course, for those who, um, for those who, who, who have an interest in, in investing, the ability, they, I'm sure they'll also have an interest in uh, more mission-driven related investments. So I, I, I do think it's valuable. Um, obviously, for firms like us, we need to make sure we have the systems in place so they, they can actually get the right exposure to really get the full depth of, 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 of the investment lifecycle and how to source deals and, and really identify uh, impactful companies, but also uh, uh, companies that could you know, be outside, generate outside return. But, um, but yeah, I do think there's, there's an opportunity overall. Yeah. First of all, uh, you know, you can't tell me that in three years, Nasir won't be managing twice as much capital as he is today. So like, you know, this space is growing. It's always great to be in a place that's growing. Um, We helped start uh, Mosaic Fellows Program at Impact Capital Managers. So uh, anyone who's listening, I encourage you to apply to that. Um, It's for uh, uh, graduate students who are interested in impact investing and they get placed with an ICM member. Um, The sector is growing. When we started ICM, we were Literally, you know, ten firms in a basement uh, managing, you know, probably less than a billion dollars today. Five years later, as I said, it's probably seventy firms managing over ten billion. So, you know, this is a growing field, and I think the real interesting thing is, um, you know, when does all in, all investing become impact? When when is it that you, it's odd that you don't have to report impact metrics to your LPs because or or the diversity of your team to LPs? Um, so I, I think we're going to see. Um, this become not just an attractive path, but sort of the only path to be on if you want to be in, in a pro-social environment uh, going forward. It, uh, it, it feels that way, Daniel. And it, uh, t- to the extent we can say that's a viable trend, it's in part because of the work both of you have been doing over the last uh, 10 years. So we appreciate your leadership. Uh, thanks to Daniel Pianco from Achieve Partners, uh, Nazir Kadri from Zeal Capital Partners. They're both members of Impact Capital Managers. Um, Check out Dan's podcast called Better Money, Better World. Uh, We we appreciate your leadership and uh, thanks to both of you for joining us on the Getting Smart Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart Podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.